0: join me in Matthew chapter 13 as we consider today the parable of uh, the hidden treasure. I think there is something that uh, is in each of us that makes us susceptible to the telling of a great tale of buried treasure. Um, When I was a kid, I was introduced to the whole concept of buried treasure. When I was given an illustrated edition of Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. And that book was just riveting to me. In it, there's a young guy named Jim Hawkins. And he uh, lives in a boarding house. um, And while he is there, he comes into possession of an authentic pirate treasure map. And so he goes and he tells some people in the town that have the means to put together uh, a a, uh, trip to go recover the treasure. And they begin the process of outfitting a crew. And the book chronicles the journey of this ship to find the buried treasure. What Jim doesn't know is that one of the men on the boat that is going with him will become his nemesis a man by the name of Long John Silver. And some of you just thought that was a great little seafood place. No, sir. This is a famous pirate, fictional to be sure, but nonetheless, he's after the treasure too, and it's an amazing adventure until Jim finally recovers the treasure And they all live happily ever after, except for the pirates that they leave marooned on the island. But that's another story. From that day to this, I have loved treasure stories. Like National Treasure, for instance. Have you ever seen that movie? Oh, you want to talk about a fun movie. That is great. Can you imagine finding a treasure like that? And let me just remind you of this little principle. The secret lies with Charlotte. Well, that's a line from the movie because I love treasure movies so much that the lines even stick in my head. Well, what we're going to find today, Jesus is going to tell some stories that are treasure stories. All the way back when Jesus was on the earth, people still loved finding buried treasure. But we're going to find there's two different ways that you can actually come across buried treasure. Well, here's the first way.
1: Listen to my story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food, and up through the ground come a bubbling crude. oil—that that is black gold, Texas tea. Well, the first thing you know, old Jeb's a millionaire. The kinfolk said, Jeb, move away from there. Said, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they moved to Beverly Hills, that is. Swimming pools, movie stars. A Beverly Hillbilly.
0: Huh? Oh, everybody under 40 just went, What in the world was that? Seriously, was that a silent movie or did people talk in that thing or what? Well, when I was a kid, Beverly Hillbillies, yeah, that was the thing. Old Jed Clampett. Now, see, this is how some people find treasure. I mean, you talk about luck. This dude's trying to shoot a rabbit and he finds oil and now he's a millionaire living in Beverly Hills. Now, that's how I'd like to find treasure. Just unintentional, just minding my business and boom. There it is, treasure chest filled with Spanish coins. I don't want much, but that would be awesome. Oh, some people Jesus is going to say find treasure when they're not even looking for it. But then there's another category of person. These people find treasure because they're looking for it. Kind of like this.
1: are oh, you sure this doggone thing's in here? Yeah, still there. Hey, think that metal detector don't work? I think it's about like, side, about 50-50 worth. See there? It's still there, boys. Hey, Jep. Hey. You gotta make it look like you're doing something. Hey, look here. I'm here in a supervisory position, okay? Jep, you need to take two steps back and dig right there where you're standing. I just dug right there. I'm taking these dinks to the Vietnamese dome. Well, the good news is you got a trench here. Hey, is there Jep. anything you need to bury? Hey. Here, kitty, 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 oh, kitty. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, look at it. Don't be brand sweet pea now. deep dong. Sounds like a cash register ringing to me. Keep your eye on the prize. There ain't no prize. Yeah, there's a prize down there. Hey, where the gold at, sir? The gold is there, I'm telling you. Oh, he hit something. Uh-oh. We got pea dirt. Oh, boy, now. hey. There it is. Look out. Hey. Get that baby out of life. here. Right, hey. Look here. Yes. Alright, yeah. yeah, open it up and let's see what's in that puppy. We still uh, gonna split it three I, ways, right? I, yeah, we're yeah we split that baby. Hey, what? It's just like quarters and crazy well, hey, crap. Hey, everybody knows that old money. Hey, is worth more. We got like forty dollars in change. <laughs> hey, with deflation alone, they got to be worth millions by now. I've got eight coins, and they're all 1973. Hey, well, hey, 40 years old, man. Sai, you do realize that a quarter made in 1973 is still just a quarter, right? <laughs> gotta no, it's got to be worth <laughs> more than that. they got to be like 100 years old to be worth anything, man. Si, where's all the gold and the rubies and the dongs and stuff? Hey, they must be in another can. We're going to have to metal detect this whole yard. Nope. What do you mean, nope? I'm done digging, digit. right, huh. Hey, these boys, hey, they ain't got the stamina and endurance to be world-class metal detectors. You done digging? Give me my cut. I'm going to go buy me a hamburger. <laughs> hey, look here. It's just more Vietnamese dongs for me. We came here for gold, size. Let me go check and see if I can't find this other bucket. Take that with you, because you're going to need it when you do. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to call y'all when I find it. No. <laughs> I'm done hunting buried treasure. We came for dongs.
0: And then some people actually look for treasure. And most of the time, they're as disappointed as those boys are with Uncle Si's quarters and dimes from 1973. Well, today, Jesus is going to tell two stories about buried treasure. And from them, one important principle about the kingdom of God. So as we get ready to study that together, let's ask God to bless our time in the Word. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today as worshipers. To have this time to lift our voices in praise to you, to celebrate your greatness, the amazing gift of your son, Jesus, who made it possible for our sins to be forgiven and for us to have a forever relationship with you. And we thank you for these parables that we're studying. Now, Father, each one teaches us something new and significant about your kingdom and about our place within it. And I just pray as we look at these uh, parables today, Father, that you'd speak to us, And continue to grow into us a passion for your kingdom and its purposes in our life. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew 13, verse 44 says this. The kingdom of heaven is like... Now, I want to pause there for just a moment. That should ring a bell for you. Because last week, when we looked at our first parable... It began with that same phrase, didn't it? We're going to see that often. What is Jesus doing? He's using stories that have spiritual truth, but he's going to use illustrations from everyday life so we can really understand what he's saying about them. So he uses this little phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, last week is like a mustard seed, right? small, but it can grow into a big tree. It's like yeast that a woman puts into flour when she's baking bread and it, and it causes the whole thing to ferment so the bread will rise and we can eat it. By the way, I saw a number of Cornerstone ladies made bread this week after my admonition. It was like three. <laughs> way to go, ladies. And you domestic goddesses, you. And I actually got a loaf too, which by the way was fabulous. So you see, we get the yeast illustration perfectly well. Well, today, Jesus has a different picture. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he's so excited about this unbelievable treasure he's found that he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, here's the picture of uh, Jed Clampett. Here's a guy, he's just roaming through a field, and he stumbles upon a buried treasure. This is something that was very common in Jesus' day. It remains common to our own day. Back in Jesus' day, there weren't banks on every corner. Oftentimes, there weren't people to entrust your money to if you wanted to eventually have it someday. It had a way of wandering off. And so you know what people did with their valuables? They, They hid them. They hid them in their homes. They hid them in the walls of their homes. They hid them in the walls uh, that were around their homes. They hid them in the ground. That's not dissimilar from our own traditions and histories in the U.S., is it? Uh, Our grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers, many of them, you know what they did with their money? They put it in a jar and buried it. They hid it somewhere under the house or in the attic, out on the farm someplace. Why? to protect it, so that they could, they didn't have to worry about it being stolen, and they could go back when they needed it, and they would be able to, uh, to recover that. We find that this was true in Jesus' day as well. In fact, this very week, this past week, I read an article about uh, an archaeological dig in Jerusalem, not far from where the Temple Mount area is, in the city of Jerusalem itself. And they're doing this dig, and the archaeologists discover this treasure trove, they find like 28 gold coins, they find a silver bar, they find a gold medallion that has a picture of a menorah on it and some symbols from the temple, some gold jewelry. It has been hidden in the ground in Jerusalem since 600 A.D. Now just, just think, well, how did it get there? Well, the scholars are surmising that the Persians who kind of controlled the area in that uh, time had come against Jerusalem around 614, something like that. And there was this transition of power that was happening. And so you know what folks did? Look, if I get caught with all this gold, I won't have it for long. They hide the gold in their house. And circumstances were such where they were never able to go back and claim it. Just found it like two weeks ago. So there's still, the good news is there's still buried treasure everywhere. So get your metal detector out. Jesus, telling this story, knew that the Jews had, had some very specific laws if you found a treasure. There were some circumstances, depending on how, what the treasure was, how it was stored, and those types of things that required you to post notice that you had found the treasure so that people who had owned the property before could come and claim it. Because clearly, it belonged to somebody and they had positioned it to be, uh, to be found by themselves. So, they could lay claim to it. But there were other examples, and Jesus is clearly referencing one of those, where if you found treasure, perhaps treasure that had been left by uh, uh, for an army or something else in the past, you could lay claim to it if you owned the property. So here's the story that he tells. There's this guy. He's not looking for treasure, but he finds it. So he hides it, covers it back up again, and he sells everything he has, and he buys the land so that he can possess the treasure. She said, The kingdom of God's like that. It's valuable like that. Then he tells another story. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He said, Here's somebody whose livelihood was finding treasure. He was somebody who dealt in precious stones, gems, and the like. And he, he had as a business traveling around and finding pearls. And he says he found one that was so incredible, so valuable, that he went and sold everything he had in order to have it. Now, we think about that and we're like, pearls? Really? Because in our culture, pearls just aren't really maybe as valuable to us as they were in Jesus' day. But if you study some history on pearls, back in the Roman Empire, pearls were one of the most sought-after gems. And they had great value. They were a sign of wealth they could be used in purchasing, they held value. So we look at that, if we were telling the story today, we'd probably use diamonds, right? Diamonds to us. Pearls, okay, I like a pearl necklace, you might say, but diamonds, well, that's a girl's best friend. <laughs> so we would say diamonds. This summer, I was in D.C. with Cassie, and we had a little bit of time one afternoon, so we went to Smithsonian. Of course, you can't take that all in a day. We went to one part of Smithsonian. When we walked in, we, we found that that was a place that houses the Hope Diamonds, the largest diamond that's ever been found. And it's been, it's still huge, and it's been cut several times through the centuries, owned by all kinds of kings and princes and famous folks and wealthy folks. Well, right now, it's at Smithsonian. And we looked at that, and I mean this diamond. If you see it, it is unbelievable. Now I know some of you think the Hope Diamond's at the bottom of the ocean because the old lady dropped it off the ship in Titanic, But I'm promising you, it is at Smithsonian because I saw it with my own eyes. And I'll just tell you, wow. That's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. This guy has, he's, he's looking for treasure for a living. He finds it. He sells everything that he has in order to possess it. And Jesus teaches us something new about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is invaluable. You can't put a price on it. It's like buried treasure that you'd sell everything you have to try to have. It's like a pearl, that's the most amazing pearl or the most amazing diamond you can imagine in your life that you would give up everything to possess. It is incredibly valuable. Do you know what else? It's life altering. Both of the folks in this story changed their whole life and everything about it to have the treasure. Everything they have, they give up for the treasure that they find. And Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this. It is invaluable to you, and it will alter your life if you possess it. So as I thought about that this week, and of course with my penchant for, for treasure hunting, I started to try to think, what, what is, why does Jesus use treasure as this analogy? I think it's because Jesus knows better than anyone that everyone in the world is looking for the same treasure. Everyone is looking for the same treasure. It's just that people are choosing to look for it in different places and in different ways. As a student of life, I just tried to think, if we could boil down all of the different kinds of treasure that people are pursuing today, just down to a handful of things, what would be on the list? And I came up with three things that for me define the treasure that every person in the world that you know, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of age, regardless of geographical location on this planet, regardless of whether they're male or female, that everyone wants. And here's what they are. First, Personal significance. The first treasure everybody wants is a sense of significance. To answer the question, who am I, why am I here, and do I matter? Every person you know, including yourself, this is one of the highest forms of treasure that they're pursuing. Now, what is significance about? You pull away everything linked to significance. There's two things. It's about being loved and valued. Significance is about being loved and valued. Everyone you know is trying to find a context in which they are loved and valued for who they are. Again, they're trying lots of different things to meet that need in their heart, but it's real and it's there. Personal significance. But there's another type of treasure that everybody's after. It's personal success. Every person you know wants to succeed at something, even the biggest slacker that you know in your life, even if at the moment his highest goal is when is my next nap, somewhere tucked away in that guy is the desire for success. Now, how do we define success? Success is defined by two things. It's defined by the desire for achievement and affirmation. Achievement success at its core is this. I want to achieve something. I want to do something. I want to succeed at something. I want to be known for something. I want to reach a goal, a position, a status, a title, an amount, whatever it is. I want to succeed at some level. And the ultimate goal behind that is what? Affirmation. So that people can look at me and say, man, look at what you did. Look at what you've accomplished. Look at what you've accumulated. Look at what you've built. Man, look at you. That is what success is all about. It's about achievement and affirmation. And everybody's looking for it. The third thing is this. Third form of treasure. Personal pleasure. Personal pleasure. Now, How would we define personal pleasure? At its root, personal pleasure is about two things. It's about happiness and fulfillment. Those two things. How many times have you talked to me? What do you want in your life? I just want to be happy. Now, nobody can tell you what that means. And maybe it's a little bit different for everybody. he's kind of got an idea of what happy means. It means ultimately for most people, I'm fulfilled. Everything's good in my life. All my significance is good. My success is good. And I have pleasure because I'm able to go do have whatever. You can take every pursuit of every person on the planet. And I believe you can put it into one of those three things. Now, why is that the case? Though we're so different, separated by so many miles, why is that the case? I think Ecclesiastes gives us an answer. In Ecclesiastes, the Bible says this, God has written eternity in our hearts. Because we are made in the image of God, we have desires that God gave to us, listen carefully, that only God can fulfill. Only God can fulfill. And yet... Each of us is faced with a choice in our life about how we're going to try and accomplish those three uh, types of treasure in our life significance, success, and pleasure. Now, I want us to look at this picture. We used this in uh, one of our uh, worship nights that we have for our journey groups uh, months ago. And this picture represents the parable of the pearl of great price what you see here in the center is the representative of that pearl isn't it big it's beautiful you can just see just the the opulence of this pearl and it just shines and it's got depth can you imagine you're out gathering shells at the beach you know you're really looking for the ring that the person lost but anyway you're gathering up the shells and you find this pearl this joker rolls up on the beach (laughs) you think you want that Hello, that's the pearl of great price. It's right, and guess what? It's hidden in plain sight because everything else in this picture represents what the world has to offer in regards to significance and success and pleasure. All this, see all these different colors, different patterns, shapes, got different words up here, stuff going in different directions, all kinds of options, all kinds of choices. And then there's the pearl of great price. Now, here's something that that we have to keep in mind as we think about this pearl. Jesus said that there is a narrow door that leads to a narrow road that leads to life. It's a hard road, Jesus said. It's a hard road. And he said there's very few who find it. But they said there's a big gate. It's a wide gate. It leads to a wide road. That road leads to destruction. And Jesus said, you know what? There's lots of people on that road. And then Jesus comes to us and says, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a treasure in a field that a man finds and he sells everything to get it. It's like a pearl of great price a guy finds. He sells everything to have it. What is Jesus saying to us? The kingdom of God is valuable. It's life-transforming. And is the only thing, it is the only treasure that can satisfy the desires of your heart. See, the world says, you want significance? We can give you lots of ways to feel loved. We can give you lots of ways to feel valued. Yeah, be in this group, be in that group. Choose this lifestyle, choose that lifestyle. Live here, live there. Do this, do that. Hang out with these people. Hang out with those people. Yes, you'll find love and value there. But ultimately, in this world's deal, it's a disappointment. Why? Because it comes from the road that leads to destruction. There's no... There's no significance there. Jesus says, you want to know where love and value are found? They're found in one place. They're found in a relationship with my Father who demonstrated perfect love to you by sending me to die on the cross for your sins. You will find perfect value by knowing Jesus because you're made in the image of God. You have significance because of who you are in Christ. And the treasure you seek for significance is found in one place. It's found in the kingdom of God. The world says... Hey, you want to have success? Man, we can give you all kinds of pictures of what success looks like. The athletes and musicians and actors and politicians and business people. Man, we can give you all kinds of ways to go chase after the success that you want. All different types of achievement that you can pursue. And the affirmation that comes from the success that you've achieved. And Jesus says, I want to tell you something, that is a dead end street. You're going to spend your whole life Chasing something that is a mirage, that's a phantom. It's not real. And it leads to destruction. You want to know where success is found? It's found in the kingdom of God, where achievement isn't measured in dollars and cents, it is measured in a life lived for the glory of God. And do you want affirmation? You will never receive greater affirmation than when the God who created you says, Well done good and faithful servant, enter in to the kingdom, to the blessings that I have provided for you. That's the only place where true success is found. Everything else is an illusion of success. And then finally, Jesus says, you, wanna, you want to you have personal pleasure in your life? You want to be happy and fulfilled? You can't find it on that road. Oh yeah, the world will tell you, try this, this will make you happy. Right? Drugs will make you happy. Sex will make you happy. Friends will make you happy. Your job can make you happy. All this stuff can be the next guy in your life, the next lady in your life. They'll make you happy. On and on it goes. Do you know what? That wide road leads to destruction. There's no happiness there. There's broken, but there's lots of broken dreams there. And then Jesus comes and says, You want to know where joy is found? I mean, the kind of joy that really creates authentic happiness, a sense of fulfillment and contentment that comes from being right with God and right with His purpose for your life, it is found in the kingdom of God, where the pearl of great price is. Jesus says, everybody's looking for treasure. Everybody's looking for the same things. But there's only one place to find it. Now, here's the principle. I want you to write it down of of these parables. Membership in God's kingdom is costly and is priceless. It's costly and it's priceless. Becoming a member, becoming a kingdom resident, becoming a kingdom citizen, becoming a kingdom participant, we could use lots of synonyms to say the same thing. Becoming a member of the kingdom of God, somebody who has the authentic right to be there, is costly. You think going after all the world's things that the world has told you will satisfy the the desire for treasure in your heart? You think that stuff's all free? Oh, no. You want to talk about a cost? And that cost goes on forever and ever. But guess what? Joining God's kingdom comes with a cost too. And here's what Jesus said. Luke chapter 9. You're going to look at these texts as you get ready for your journey groups this week. So I'm just touching on them briefly. There's three things that it costs... To get through the narrow door onto the narrow road that leads to life to become a part of the kingdom. Do not miss this. Number one, submission. When you're on the wide road, you can live any way you want. You can do what you want, go what you want. Rule your life the way that you want. Chase after treasure the way that you want. But not to get on the narrow road. To get through the narrow door, you got to go God's way. And God says it begins with Submission. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, they've got to do a couple things. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. What's he talking about? Submission. You know what Jesus says? Look, I love you enough. You want to stay on the wide road, I'm going to let you, but I'm not going to lie to you and tell you. You can come any way you want onto the narrow road, and there's no expectation for your life. What's the, What somebody heard say this week, a lot of people think about church like this. You come as you are and leave as you please. It doesn't work that way in the kingdom of God. That's not how you get in. He says this, you have to carry your cross. Now, the people in in Israel got that. We hear cross and we think jewelry. They heard cross and they think about all the people they've passed on the roads in Palestine, littered with the corpses of dead bodies that have been hung up on crosses by Roman soldiers as punishment for crimes. And they got a totally different picture. Man, following Jesus could cost me something. Jesus went on to say, you want to save your life? Yeah, you stay on the wide road, but you're going to lose it eventually. But if you're willing to lose your life for me in the gospel, you will save your life forever. Because what does it profit you if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul? And the answer is, it doesn't profit me anything. But that's what happens on the wide road. Yeah, you got 50, 60, 70, 80 years to live, maybe, against all of eternity. You're willing to take whatever you can cram into those years as the substitute for a forever in the presence of God? Well, who makes that decision? Lots of people make that decision. Because at the core of conversion is submission to the lordship of Christ. Jesus says, to be in my kingdom, you have to let me be your king. Secondly, you know what else it takes? It takes sacrifice. A little bit further in Luke 9. Jesus is getting ready to send people out to share the message of the kingdom like his evangelists out to these different towns that he couldn't get to. He says, I want you to go out and preach, and, and immediately he says to this one guy, but wait, wait, I'm looking at the motives in your heart. You're going for the wrong reason. I don't have a place to lay my head. Following me isn't a road to riches. This guy must have thought, man, Jesus is going to be the next big thing, and if I'm in his posse, guess what? I get, to, I get drugged to the top too. And Jesus said, no, that's not how it works in my kingdom. Then he told another guy, I want you to go, I want you to go share this message. I got to go bury my father. Jesus says, well, let the dead bury their dead. Everybody, oh, well, that's pretty callous. What, Jesus didn't love his father? Of course he loved his father. That wasn't the point. The point was kingdom needs trump everything in our life. He said it takes some sacrifice to follow after me. Then the third guy, let me go say bye to my family and my friends, and then I'll follow you. What does Jesus say? You can't put your hand to the plow and look back and accomplish anything in the kingdom. There is some cost to following Jesus, and it takes Sacrifice. To do this, why? Here's what Jesus said On the wide road, you can keep all the stuff you get. You can hoard it, you can keep it, you can, you can use it for yourself. You don't have to give it to the poor, you don't have to be generous, you don't even have to give it to me. You can enjoy it, but when your life is over, that's it. Or he says, You can come on to my kingdom. In my kingdom, you submit to me, and in my kingdom, everything I've given you belongs to me. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you, I promise to do that. But you have to live all the time knowing that the things I've given you are they belong to me because I'm the king of the kingdom. But then there's a third thing Jesus said. He said, You also have to be a servant. The end of Luke, the disciples are arguing about who the greatest disciple is. So typical. And Jesus said, Whoa, there's no room for that talk in the kingdom. There's only one king, and I'm that king. And guess what? I came as a servant. If you're going to be like me, you've got to be a servant. On the wide road, you don't have to serve anybody but yourself. You live for yourself, right? Everything's about yourself. You don't have to make any sacrifice, no submission, no service. But on the narrow road, Jesus said this, if you're going to walk with me, you've got to take up a cross. You've got to follow me. You've got to serve. This is the demands of being a kingdom resident. Now, in America, man, we have just made a mess out of that proclamation of the gospel, haven't we? We've made a mess out. Here's what we've said. Man, you can get saved. There's no cost. You don't count the cost. You just pray the prayer, and then you get to go to heaven. You can live any way you want. It doesn't matter what you do. Hey, if you get it right someday, that'll be fine. But if not, you get to go to heaven, that's fine. What did the Pope say this week? Even atheists get to go to heaven if they're sincere in their atheism. Okay, well, that's nice. I don't know where he came up with that, because he sure didn't read his Bible and find that. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say that at all in this, does he? He says, the kingdom of God is costly. That's why the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. We're going to talk about him several times as we go through this study because it's the one that hits us in the face the most. Yeah, you want to follow me? There's one thing you lack. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. No, I'm not doing that. Jesus is not chasing him down. He's saying, you want to come through the narrow gate? This is how it looks like for you. This is what it requires. It takes surrender and it takes sacrifice and it takes servanthood. Jesus said, these costs are nothing, though, compared to the value of being a part of the kingdom of God and knowing God forever. That you can't even begin to imagine that this is not a difficult trade-off. But I want to close with giving us a chance to do a little introspection. Because here's what I thought this week. But you know, I was saved when I was a little boy. Many of you maybe can relate to that. I was a little boy when I heard the gospel. And I heard that Jesus loved me and died on the cross for my sins, and that if I would place my faith in Jesus and receive him as my Savior, that He would forgive me, He'd give me the opportunity to follow him as a disciple. I'm thankful that through the years as I've grown, I've come to understand that that gift, though it's free, comes with a cost of surrender and sacrifice and service. But here's what I've been asking myself: What if that hadn't happened in my life? And what if today I was was lost? I was on that wide road. And I heard about the gospel and its demands, that it would require everything of me to be a follower of Jesus. Would I still choose Jesus? Now, the Sunday school answer is, well, yes, of course I would. (laughs) Okay, but that's just a Sunday school answer. I'm talking about a real-world answer. What if I was a rich young ruler? Would I give up everything I possess in order to have the pearl of great price? Would you? See, I'm praying for some folks that come to know Jesus. They've become friends of Lila and me. They live in a different country. And the reality is, if he gave his life to Jesus authentically, he'd have to quit his job the next day. And none of us have had to do that in, in our life that I know of. That day may be coming to the U.S., but there's lots of people around the world where that would be the case. He'd have to quit his job because he couldn't function in the job he has and be a follower of Jesus. That's a pretty big cost, isn't it? It's like the cost that folks had to make in Jesus' day. You know, there are people who will do secret church today who, because they profess faith in Jesus, have been totally abandoned by their families and cast out, disowned. You get saved in a Muslim country, you get saved in a Hindu family. You get saved in many Jewish families. You get saved in certain other backgrounds. And guess what? It's as if you do not exist to the family. You want to talk about counting the cost? Does the kingdom cost? Is the kingdom worth that much? Jesus says yes. That's a cause I haven't lived. I haven't had to make that choice. Would I make that choice? There are people who, who when they place their faith in Jesus in different parts of this world, are under the threat of death, constantly to be a follower of Jesus. Now think about that. I'm going to go home. I'm going to eat dinner. I'm going to take a little nap. I'm going to enjoy the Lord's Day. I'm going to have time with my family. And so are you. And I'm not going to have to worry about a single person showing up wanting to burn my house down and kill me because I'm a follower of Jesus. But there are Christians in the world today who will. Have you been following the mess in Egypt? Coptic Christians in Egypt are being, are being killed every day right now in our world, every day. Here's what Muslims are doing. They're going into these villages, these Coptic villages, where there are conclaves of, of believers. and say, so we're going to give you three choices. Choice one, convert to Islam. That's choice one. Okay, well, what's choice two? Choice two, the Koran gives us the permission to tax you as an infidel to live in our land as someone who does not embrace Islam. So you can pay the tax, and we will let you live here, and we will let you live. The problem is the tax is so exorbitant, nobody could pay it. What if somebody came to you and said, I'm going to let you live, but you have to pay me a tax of $1,000 a day? I'd be, I don't know about, I'm just speaking for me. I'd be in trouble at a tax of $1,000 a day. That's the kind of tax it is. Oh, okay, what's option three? Option three is we cut your head off as a follower of Jesus. Make your choice. Um, Is there a fourth option? (laughs) Yeah, run for your life. That's what a lot of Christians are having to do. Fleeing to other places looking for safety. And I ask myself, what would I do in that situation? Does that pearl of great price, do I have that? I mean, do I have it? Have it. I don't mean, did I go through the motions once when I was a kid because I got worked up at a revival. I'm talking about, does my life reflect that I am on the narrow road, that I possess the pearl of great price, and it matters more to me than anything else that I have in my life. We talk about the teachings of Jesus being hard sometimes, and they are, aren't they? This is one of them. As we think about that, and as we prepare to close... Um, I want to read a quote from John Piper. You'll find it in your journey notes, and I hope you'll reflect on it again this week. Piper writes this, and I agree with him 100%. Listen carefully as we close. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him, when we have the pearl of great price and we know what it means. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. He goes on. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. Now, let me say that again. If we do not want God above all the other things in our life, we have not been converted by the gospel. Why? Because the kingdom, yeah, it's priceless. But there's a, there's a cost of our life. Now, there's two groups of folks here today. The first group are folks who don't know Jesus yet. You may be religious, maybe a nice person, maybe you grew up going to church, but your life has not been affected by the claims of Christ or the call of the kingdom of God. To this point, last week, 38-year-old guy walked down front and said, you know what? I've been on that wide road my whole life. I am ready to get on that narrow road and commit my life, everything I have to Jesus. That's how you become a follower of Christ. Submitting to His Lordship. Making available all that you are and you have have to Him. And serving Him with your life to bring Him glory. That's the cost of of salvation. But I promise you, it's the greatest treasure you can ever possess. And it is the thing that you've been looking for in your life. And when we're done, we're going to have folks at the front who would love to talk with you like they did this young guy last week about how you can experience a new life in Christ as part of the kingdom of God. And you can leave with this treasure that you will treasure forever and ever. But there's a second group of folks here. As folks who are, who are in Christ, we would say we're on the narrow road. We would say we've been through the narrow door. We have been recipients of this pearl of great price and this treasure. And we're born again. But I want to ask a question. If that is the case... Am I one who has this pearl of great price on display for all to see living like I'm on that narrow road? Or do I hold on to this treasure, right? And it's hidden away in that top drawer of your dresser where all your junk ends up, your pocket lint, your loose change and the golf tee you forgot to take out and your broken watches and all the mess that's in there. And in the meantime, you're just kind of living like you're still on this old road. Treasure in lots of things more than you treasure God in His kingdom. He didn't save us for that. His purpose for us is bigger than that. And we have the opportunity today to say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to start valuing this treasure You've given me for what it is and what it's worth. And my life is going to begin to reflect that I'm on that road. And I'm going to let people see that I possess this pearl because it's what they're really looking for, whether they know it or not. I may be the only person in their world who has the ability to tell them where to find it. That's my prayer for us as followers of Jesus today. Father, thank you for this amazing time in your word. These beautiful pictures that we understand well when we think about treasure hunting and things that have great value. Father, Jesus said that this is what your kingdom is like. It's priceless. It's life-altering. Father, it comes to us with a cost. cost of ourselves. The cost of our service. Of our surrender to your Lordship. And so we come praying, Father, as those who know you, who possess this pearl. Asking, Father, that you would continue to help us see it for what it is worth. And that because of that, our lives would reflect its worth in how we live and how we serve and how we find joy in you and all of, those, all of that treasure, of significance and success and, and pleasure in our relationship with you. God, I pray for those who may be here. They don't know you. They're on that wide road. They're looking for treasure in all the wrong places. But today you've said to them, Here is where the treasure is found. It's found in Jesus. I'm going to give it to you freely, but it comes with a cost. I pray that you would draw them to faith in your son. Transform and alter their lives forever and ever for your glory. God, thank you that we can worship today in our giving. Every week it tests. Our surrender. Our sacrifice. Our service. We will not keep Your tithe is our own. We will bring it to you, God, with grateful hearts that you have given us a residency in your kingdom. Use these gifts for great good, I pray, and bless your kids as we give them. In Jesus' name.